Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 to 32. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks, Caleb, for reading the scripture today. It's good to see everybody here today. Um, What we're going to do today is um, we're actually going to uh, begin a new series. And um, this series is really, today is just an introduction. I think what we're going to hear today is nothing new. um, But I just need to use this as a jump start to kind of get into the next few weeks of um, our new series. And that is we're, we're dealing with worship. Okay, we're dealing with worship. And I know some of you, many of you already know a lot about worship, right? Sunday is the day we come to worship. One of the reasons that I want to focus on this is, is two things. Number one is that we're in the process of evaluating the ministries of the church. And uh, we're going to be meeting with all the ministries and committees and try and restructure and reorganize a little bit better um, and to make things better, to address some of the concerns and some of the needs that were, I guess, um, noted to us in the survey. But I, as I'm looking through it and as I plan through some of these things, I, I think as, as important as things like fellowship committee, things like welcoming committee, things like uh, missions, uh, even branch and day spring, as important as those things are, I never want us to forget about the biggest thing that we do on a Sunday, and that's worship. We could be doing everything great, Everything great, all our ministries, praise ministry, you know, uh, women's ministry, whatever it is, we can do all those things great, but if we can't worship right, if we don't have a proper understanding of Sunday worship, uh, if it's just an afterthought, well, I know worship is worship, but let's do this and this and this. If we do this, we're, we're missing, I think, something that is core to who we are and to why we're even here, right? And I'm going to be very honest, uh, as, as I, especially over the summer, one of the things in our church that I think if I had to point out, uh, apart from everything else that we need to work on, is this. Your worship attendance. Your worship attendance. Did you know that according to our roster of members and non-members, including our children, we have a total of probably close to 100 people. Right? There's never 100 people on a Sunday. Never. And over the summer, 50% attendance rate. And let's be honest, for some of us here, you have a 50% attendance rate. Right? And so it's very important to be reminded again of what it is. Now, this isn't just a sermon about, hey, why you should come to church, okay? This is a sermon about what it is and some good things of why we should be looking for in a service. And in the next following weeks, We're going to look at things and say, these are things that maybe you get out of worship. And it's more than just a sermon, okay? It's more than just a sermon. And so we're going to talk about worship, and I just want to open up today and talk about what this means. Why do we worship on the seventh day, or the the first day of the week? Why do we worship on the Sabbath? Why do we call it Sabbath? And uh, what are we really supposed to bring from, from this time of worship? Here in our passage that Caleb just read in the Gospel of Mark, This is actually just a few verses, but what I really want to do is kind of have an overview of this whole chapter. Because right after this event, you know that there is this 
great miracle. Jesus feeds 5,000. 5,000 men, it says. So that doesn't include women and children. So if you add all those people together, there's this miracle that he does in chapter 6 that he feeds probably over 10,000 people sitting there on the lawn who are listening to him teach and preach. Okay? But I, I don't want to talk about the miracle per se because that's getting into something here that I think is connected to the few verses that we just read. Because the first thing that we see here uh, in our passage is that we're told in verse 30 that the apostles returned to Jesus, they reported to him everything that they did, and the first thing that Jesus says in verse 31 is this, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. And rest. The apostles here are gathering together with Jesus. It's debrief time. They're, they're telling him everything that they've done and taught. Uh, if you remember earlier in this chapter, in verses 7 to 13, uh, before the account of John the Baptist, they, they were sent out by Jesus. They were delegated. They were go and say, he said, go preach, go teach. Um, teach them about the gospel, teach them about me, and that's what they were doing. And this probably lasted weeks, maybe even months, these disciples were doing this. And now they've come back, and they've gathered with Jesus, and now it's reporting time, it's debriefing time. And the very first thing that Jesus says is this, come away by yourselves to a place and rest. The first provision he makes is a provision of rest. Isn't that amazing? Here's Jesus. He's not the boss. He's a shepherd. The first provision he wants them to do after working so hard is to rest. You know, in the book of Hebrews, we read there that Jesus is called a high priest who understands our infirmities, who's touched with our feelings of infirmities. He knows. He knows that they're tired. He knows that they need a break. And so he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. Okay? Now, Anytime you look at the Bible and it has these things, these details, these events, they're not just in there just to kind of fill in space, right? Is there something more that Mark is trying to tell us when Jesus tells his disciples, come away to a place and find rest? Maybe this is it. Maybe, you know, they just need a break. They're tired and Jesus wants to give them a break. But I want to suggest to you that if you were to keep reading this passage, I think it's more. I think Mark is actually getting deeper with this. Notice three things in this, in this whole, whole passage. What happens right after Jesus says, let's get away and get some rest? What they do is they take a boat and they start crossing the sea, okay? And if you read verse 33, basically a, a bunch of people recognize, hey, there's Jesus and the apostles. Let's follow them, okay? And then in verse 34, when they actually got to the shore, Jesus says, it says, Mark says, he saw a great crowd he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching. So Jesus starts teaching. He says, let's get some rest. But when they get there, he's faced with all these people. He has compassion on them, and he starts teaching. And I think, you know, I don't know how long the teaching was, but I'm sure it's pretty long. And I think during this time, I think the disciples actually got some rest. They got a little break. But then right after the teaching, what happens? Jesus says, the people are hungry. What are we going to do? And the miracle of 5,000. Feed all these people. Now, I'm not going to talk about the miracle like I said, but I want you to notice this thing. Feeding 5,000 people, teaching, you know, several hours, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And the point is, Jesus is teaching, and now he's feeding the people, 
and he doesn't get a break. The irony of this passage is that he invites the disciples, hey, I know you've been working hard, come, let's find a place and get some rest. Jesus is tired too, but the irony is this whole chapter, he never gets a break. He never gets a rest. Despite his need for rest, we're told in verse 34, rather he has compassion on the people. He sees people like sheep without a shepherd. So what does Jesus do? He goes to work. And this is the point that I want to think about. He works first in order to provide rest for everybody else. That's what I see. So when Jesus says, let's get some rest, could Mark mean something more? But consider also this. Secondly, Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to this place and let's rest. In other English translations, the the word is come away to a quiet or secluded place and let's get some rest. But the translation we just read is actually more accurate. They don't use the word secluded or quiet. They use the word desolate. Come away to yourselves to a desolate place. Isn't that strange? I mean, you would think if you want to get rest, you go to a nice plush garden with nice grass and nice air and food and drink and whatever. But he says, let's go to a desolate place. And that word desolate is repeated three times in this chapter, not just once. In verse 31, come away to yourselves to a desolate place and rest. And then in verse 32, they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And then in verse 35, later on, he's talking to the disciples, and the disciples say, Jesus, we can't feed these people. Let's, this place is a desolate place. And the hour is late. Send them away. Three times that word desolate is there in this whole chapter. You know the word desolate? You know what it means? It means empty. It means dry. It means bare. It means depressingly bare. The word desolate is used to describe in the Bible a desert, a wilderness. And what does he do? What does Jesus do in this desolate place with the disciples and with all these people sitting there listening to him, this place that's like a desert or a wilderness? He feeds hungry people, and it's a lot of work. The reason I point this out is because you read Psalm 95, you read Isaiah 63, you read Jeremiah 31, you read Hebrews chapter 3, you read about the Exodus, you read about Moses and Elijah, and all these places you find over and over again, God provides rest in a desert or a wilderness. This is a theme that's recurring all the time in the Old Testament, and we see it being repeated here again with Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus mean? What did Mark mean when he says, Jesus said, let's go get some rest? Is that all it was, a break? Third thing to think about. In verse 37, Jesus sees all these people. They're hungry. The disciples say, hey, they're hungry. we got to do something. And then Jesus says, verse 37, why don't you give them something to eat? And you know what the disciples said? They said in a sarcastic way, well, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? What that meant was this, Jesus, we don't have anything. We don't have enough money. All these people, we, we, we can't feed them. It costs too much for us to do anything about it. So, so Jesus, send them away. Let them take care of themselves. It's not our responsibility. After all, it would be too expensive. It's too costly. It would take a lot. It would cost a lot to feed all these people. 
Do you see this? Jesus brings the disciples across the sea to this desolate place. He wants to give them rest, like Elijah did, like Moses did, like Elisha did in the desert or in the wilderness. And in the desolate place, it's Jesus who doesn't rest. But he is the one who works to provide food and rest. I think what Mark is trying to show us here is this. Here's somebody who's like Moses, but better. Here's someone who is like Elijah and Elisha and the prophets of the Old Testament, but greater. And as tired as Jesus was, out of love and compassion, he works before he gets to rest. Why? So that he would be able to provide the disciples, he would be able to provide the 5,000 or so people real rest. Verse 34, we're told Jesus sees the people like sheep without a shepherd. So what does Jesus do? He feeds them like a shepherd. He works without rest to be their shepherd. And even though his disciples said it would be too expensive, we don't have enough, he does it at a great cost to himself. Do you hear the gospel in this passage? Jesus is our shepherd. And he provides for us rest. How? He worked when no one else did. He worked all the way to the cross in order to bring us a spiritual rest. And this at a great cost to himself. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus feeds us now with his body and his blood. And in the desolate places, he is the one who gives us rest. This is why in Psalm 23, we are able to pray, the Lord is what? My shepherd I shall not want. Why? Because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to still waters. He provides rest. This is what I'm trying to say. All this is to say, Jesus who did not rest worked in order to give us rest. And this is why we worship on Sunday. Okay, Bible study is over. I think Mark is trying to tell something deeper than just he wanted to give these disciples a break when he says, let's get some rest. I think it's much bigger. Jesus did not rest but worked in order to give us rest. He worked first and then rest. And this is why we worship on Sunday. Do you ever think about this? Why do we worship on the first day of the week before we go back to work tomorrow? And not on the Saturday or the seventh day, like many of our Jewish friends still do today. Sunday is our Sabbath. It's our quote-unquote day of rest. But we rest first on the first day of the week, and then we work. Do you see how reversed that is? It's kind of weird if you think about it, because in our culture, the logic is this. Everywhere else, you work first, and that's why you need rest. You start a new job. When you start a new job, you don't start with a vacation, right? You earn the vacation. How? By working. And this is then why Sunday worship is so important, more important than you think. Maybe one of the most countercultural things you can do because the change of day from Saturday to Sunday, from the last day of the week to the first day of the week, is proof that at least before God, all the work necessary has been completed for us by Jesus Christ. 
When it comes to God, you don't work first. You don't serve first. You don't give first. You rest first. And then you work. You rest first. And then you serve. You rest first. And then you give. That's a completely different logic, and it's what we call gospel logic. Why can we do this? Because of this passage, what we see, Jesus worked first before he rested, and he worked first to provide us a rest, and that's what we remember on any given Sunday. This is why we rest first before we work. Now, here's a question. What does it mean to rest today? And I think it just can't mean a break. It doesn't just mean a break, does it? I mean, think about it. Many of you who have come to service, it's a lot of work, right? I mean, physically. I mean, some of us, we drive far away. It's not easy to get to church sometimes. It's a lot of work. Some of you, you come to church, and not only do you worship, but you've got to serve, whether it's praise team or, or teaching or, or helping out day spring or what. So it, it's, it's a lot of work. Some of us, we provide lunch and we got to do that and we got to prepare lunch. And so that's just work. So, you know, if rest means don't do anything, just take a break, I don't think it can just mean that. You think about pastors and teachers. Sunday is our biggest day of work. Right? So what does it mean to rest? It's a little more deeper than that. First, let me give you three things. First, when God calls us to rest in him, right, or on a Sunday, it basically means, one, no more self-effort. It means that if Jesus has done everything that we needed to do so that we could get close to God, it means now there's no more effort. There's no more self-effort on our part to try and please God with my effort. You don't come and do things to earn his favor. When you rest from that, it means you stop from being legalistic, doing everything because you think this is what's going to earn something. When we rest, it means basically this. You stop from trying to save face. You stop from trying to earn brownie points from other people, from God in the world, where what people think about you can matter just a little bit too much, and it's exhausting to do that, to try and put your best foot forward every Sunday. But when you come to church on a Sunday, God says, rest. It means be who you are, because I already know. I already know who you are. And you're still accepted. Just rest in free grace, okay? The second thing, what does it mean to rest? There's a mental state. It means being free from concerns and worries and anxieties. And you know how some of us we can be. Even when we're not really working, we're working. Our our brain is always working. You ever drink too much coffee and you try to go to sleep, but the caffeine is keeping you up? You can't rest mentally because every little thing is now pounding in your brain and it's bugging you. Uh, And so when Jesus says, I've provided you rest, come to me, the rest here also means to be free from whatever bugs you, whatever causes you to worry. To rest in this sense means to be at peace. Why? Because the first day of the week, Sunday, it means trusting that everything is under God's control. He's already done everything. He knows what he's doing. It means being free from the things that bugs us because we trust that either God's going to remove those things from us or he's going to take those hard things and he's going to make it work for our good. So rest in him. 
Finally, there's a third way we could rest, and it's the word rest. It means this. Sometimes when you use the word rest, it means something's at rest. It's not moving. It's fixed. It's settled. It's not shifting around. It's stable. When we come to church on Sunday, we rest in God. And what that means is this, that our relationship with God is fixed. It's stable. It's secure. Why? Because Jesus has done all the work to bring us together. And it means that God doesn't just love us one day and then says, I don't like you the next day. That's how people can be, right? You ever have best friends with someone and all of a sudden six months later it's like, ah, not so much? Right? It's not like God ever says to you, well, I liked you yesterday, but today I don't like you that much. He never says that. He says, you're my son and daughter. You're my family. That relationship is never going to change because of what my son has done for you. That's not going to change. It's fixed. It's at rest. And so you can lean on me and be sure that I will never topple over you. Okay? These are some ways to think about rest. Some of you feel like you only have two speeds. You're either going and then you stop. Right? You go, 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 and then you stop. But when you stop, it's not like you're resting because uh, you're stopping because you can't go anymore. You have no more strength. And I don't think that's what Jesus means when he says, come get some rest. Others of you might think, well, this is more church-related. God gives us rest on the first day of the week so we can focus on him. And so this sermon is about taking seriously the, the Sabbath and and, you know, that's partly true, okay? I mean, it's, the attendance is not always that great. And so and that's something you can't take away. Uh, so you think you already know everything. And even though that might be a good takeaway, it isn't about necessarily trying to take Sunday more seriously. Don't miss church, as important as that is. Why? Because as soon as you start thinking like this, that's no longer good news to you. You add it to your personal list of to-dos. I need to make more time for kids. I need to start going to the gym, I need to clean my house, I need to take up a new hobby, and I need to take the Sabbath more seriously. Right? So maybe resting for Jesus means we just need a break once in a while. I mean, after all, the disciples are tired, they're working so hard, preaching, teaching, doing miracles, so busy, they don't even have time to eat, so of course, maybe they deserve a break. And usually I would agree with that. But I'm not so sure in this case. The deserving language kind of bugs me. On the surface, it feels like a good thing to say, oh, she deserves to be happy. I deserve a nice vacation. We deserve a break today. But when it comes to God, right, who deserves anything? And if you see this rest that Jesus is offering as something that you deserve, then here's the thing. You've got to be worthy of deserving it. You've got to try to become worthy of deserving it. But I'm pretty sure that the rest that Jesus gives, it doesn't come from our deserving anything from God. And if that's the case, then I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean like employee benefits where you earn a certain number of Sabbath days for every hour you work. I think Jesus told his disciples to come away with him and rest and eat, not just to give them a a foreshadowing of the Sabbath and not just a, a pit stop to kind of refuel so that he could get them back out to work again. I think he said, come away and get some rest so that they might experience in that moment of doing nothing 
that they themselves need that rest, that they are just as hungry and just as broken and tired as all those other people that Jesus sent them to serve. You see, if there is real rest in the presence of God, and there is, it means that we're not on the clock. We don't punch in and punch out because there is no clock. That's why it's called grace, not reward. And so the rest that Jesus offers, the shepherd who can make you lie down in green pastures, is not just about taking time off from working, but finding rest in Jesus. His rest is about taking time off from all forms of worthiness. Here's what I mean. Resting for Jesus is that gracious, blessed break from, do you really deserve this attitude? Resting for Jesus is not just a break from your weekly work. It's a break from, am I productive enough? It's a break from, am I good enough? Am I being a good parent enough? Am I being a good boyfriend or girlfriend enough? Am I being a good daughter or son enough? Or or am I being a good employee? Jesus rests on a Sunday to remind us to take a break from that attitude. Am I pretty enough? Am I thin enough? Am I lovable enough? Am I rich enough? Am I strong enough? Did I do enough? That worthiness system that always that we seem to live under. Because the kind of rest that is yours, the kind of rest that Jesus gives, never comes from being worthy. It never comes through just doing the right kind and the right amount and the right quality of spiritual practices. But the rest that is yours and mine comes from the promise of the gospel. That it was and is Jesus that came to save sinners and he worked endlessly and tirelessly to heal and to love and save the sin sick, the overburdened. He came to give rest to the weary and the restless, to the overworked and underappreciated housewives, to the overworked husband and father or whoever it is. He came to lift our significance away from what we can do or what we did do or what we wanted to do to what he's done for us. And so we rest in that, knowing that you are justified, not because you're so busy and productive or worthy, but you are justified because of his grace through faith in what he's done. So we rest. We rest in the knowledge of how much God still loves you, not because of you, but because of him, the great shepherd of the sheep who feeds you, who clothes you, who leads you to still waters, even in spite of yourself. Unlike everything else in the world, everything else, unlike everything else, we don't have to strive and labor in order to earn our place with God. Now I want us to think about this, and I'll end with this. I know many of us think that going to church on a Sunday is a very religious and culturally religious thing to do, right? But depending on how you think about it, it's actually very religiously countercultural. Do you know why? 
Because to come to church on Sunday means you have to give up everything else you could be doing with this time. And that's why we call it worship. But the word worship means it's sacrifice. That we give up something in order to be here. It's an act of faith by which we recognize that though we live in this world, we are not destined just for this world. We don't just strive to build lasting homes here in this world where everything falls apart. When we keep the Sabbath, we are pressing the pause button to remind ourselves of our place with God, our rest with what he says is ours, and it says to the world that we don't pursue the world the same way, investing all our energy and hopes only for here and now. Because we are pilgrims and sojourners on the way to a better home. I know this sounds like spiritual jargon. I used to think like that myself. But, you know, as I get older, it starts to become more real to me. You know, I woke up this morning and I looked in the mirror and, and uh, you know, my back was hurting. Uh, my eyes are all screwed up. And, and I just thought, man, I'm just getting old. And I feel it. In my time, I'm thinking already like those old people think, like, where did all the time go? You know, no more kids in the house, which is a good thing for me. But, you know, no more, you know, it's just me and the wife. And I can't help but feel a little bit of a depression sometimes. I'm at the fully getting into the entail. But it occurs to me that at the end of the day, as good as it has been, it's not the last thing. And I need to remind myself of that at least once a week. Whatever my plans are for the rest of my life here in this world, whatever I want, whatever I want to do, at least a reminder once a week that this is not it. That there is more. And I can rest in Christ from all the things and the opinions and the people of the world around me and trust in him who has promised what that is, and that is more. We need that reminder, and that's why not only you should go to church, but you should want to go to church. Who we are, where we're headed, where we belong, we need this. We need to rest from the crazy week that's going to begin, and sometimes what this world looks like is very crazy. Okay? And so I invite you again, as we work through whatever we need to work through as a church, never forget why we come here first, to worship him, to find our rest. In the next following weeks, we'll look at some things, and I'm going to show you a few things, uh, how worship itself can provide things that we're actually looking for in the world. But for now, let's continue to trust that God gives us rest today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Um, we are a people who live in a culture that gets easily bored. Uh, we, we are people who like to look for the next new thing, the next greatest thing, the next brightest thing. And routines, Lord, as important as we might think they are, can be only routines. And we find ourselves going through the motion and we find ourselves just doing it because we've always been doing it. 
Whatever the reasons we are doing what we do here on Sunday, we pray. Lift our eyes away from ourselves. Help us to remember it's through the routine that you call us to be faithful. It's through not the spectacular, it's through the mundane that you called us to change. It's through consistency and it's through, Lord, what you call us to do with the recipe of what you've given to us in your word that you say through these things you will nourish us, you will feed us, you will lead us and guide us. And so we pray that we constantly need that reminder that we don't just come to church because it's our duty, but we come because we see the need. Just like the disciples who needed rest, we come to see that we too, as much as we've been doing out there in the world, we are also still broken, tired, under stress and pressure, and we need to know how much, not only are you in control, how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you've accepted us already, how much you've approved of us already, so that we might go back into the world encouraged to persevere, to work faithfully, genuinely, but from our hearts. So give us that reminder again. Help us to find rest in you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray.